Hello and welcome to The Plants We Eat. This is the podcast where we investigate the science, culture, and history behind the plants that you use for food. My name is Jeff Gilman, and I'm the director of the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens and a plant history enthusiast. And I'm Cindy Proctor, part-time instructor from Central Piedmont Community College in Charlotte, North Carolina, and a garden coach, landscape professional. And you change it every time. I do. So today we are going to talk a little bit about, well, capers. Capers. And I've got to tell you, before we even start talking about capers, it was very hard to find this online for general information because I look up capers and find all the stuff about Batman and Robin <laughs> trying to. So, but uh, capers is something that uh, I don't have a. I didn't have a tremendous amount of experience coming in with besides eating them all the time because I do absolutely love capers. Well, the reason why is it's a Mediterranean bush. Yeah, it's a Zone Eight bush, yes. and by and Zone Eight for those of you who don't know, that would be I guess Eastern North Carolina. Would yeah, probably be a zone eight. Barely, yes. Yeah, we, we do not have them at the gardens right now. 10 degrees and above. Yeah, we do not have them at the gardens right now, but we actually have spots close to what we call protected locations. Mm-hmm. In other words, locations close to the greenhouse that would be warm enough. Good microclimate. Or, right, right. But you know, when you hear something's from the Mediterranean, that means no humidity. Yeah. And that just kind of kills it for us. Although in reviewing this, I, I've found a number of different universities putting out information on capers. It looks like it's definitely a crop that if you are zone eight, if you're truly zone eight, it's worth trying. We're definitely going to give this one a shot. I think I'd like to see Texas try this plant because yeah. it loves the heat. That makes, that makes sense. Very no, Little water. Uh, I know they get cold, though. Um, I have relatives there. I understand the, the, the weather there. What about but, Arizona, New Mexico? Yeah. I mean, these are... These you're are, right. You're right. You could. I these just, are tough, tough shrubs. They are. They're, they're kind of desert mm-hmm. type shrubs that... Uh, the caper itself is the little flower bud, you know, from it, which is kind of neat. It's not a seed. It's, it's, it is. it's I mean, when you're eating a caper, I think a lot of people think they're eating a seed or they're eating a fruit. Now, let's be clear. They could be eating the fruit if they're eating the caper berry. Yes. But the caper berry isn't as popular, mostly because it, it just doesn't taste. Well, it's big. It's big, and it doesn't taste quite as good. I don't I Well, don't when think. You're, you're using food to adorn or spice or flavor, you mm-hmm. know, other food, you don't want it to be the same, tec- overpa- the same yeah. texture or size of your bites, you know. Right. And so the berry would fill that category, unlike the caper, is really small, kind of. Oh, it's the flower bud. It's the flower bud, kind of like uh, it reminded me when we did clove, mm-hmm. you know. It's, it's, it's the same kind of thing. The same kind of thing. It's very similar in size without the stock, but we eat them pickled. Well, usually there's two ways to eat. Well, we should say three ways. Okay. The first is caper berry. Okay. And caper berry is going to be uh, what we call brine cured, basically vinegar and mm-hmm. salt in your caper berry. Um, but the, uh, the flower buds can be either salt cured or brine cured. Now, salt cured are the capers just mixed in with sea salt and left that way for a number of weeks. Brine cured is what almost everybody here knows, mm. which is the buds in vinegar and salt. Brine cured is primarily what I've had. The salt Same cured, here. The salt cured is supposed to be wonderful, and you can find it here, but it's not, it's not nearly as common as it is in the Mediterranean. Well, usually the brine cured is also helpful in the flavoring of the food. Yes. And that, and yeah. The vinegar tastes right. Yeah, it's very I, good. When I take out a few capers, I also like to pour a little bit of the stuff on <laughs> Why whatever not? it is. More that, is better. That's right. More is, hey, if one teaspoon is good, 10 teaspoons <laughs> right. is really good. That's right. 
Now, if you choose to eat these buds right off the plant, they're very stringent and they're not very tasty at all. They actually do need to be treated prior to eating. In terms of which is most flavorful, I found this really interesting because there are a number of different opinions. Now, I'll tell you right off that I tend to like the bigger capers. The smaller capers are the more expensive ones. You pay a premium for those. But that makes sense, right? It, it makes sense that the smaller ones are more expensive, but I tell you what, I've always thought the bigger ones are, are better because there's that flower developing in there, and as the flower develops, it has more flavor. And I actually found a, a number of people, chefs, who said larger is better. But then if you just look at the standard beliefs, it's smaller is better. So what I ended up coming away with is what's better? Try them both. You decide what you like, and that's the one that's that's better. But the berry makes me think of a lima bean. Well, I'm not talking about the berry. Okay. I'm, I'm just talking about the buds. Oh, sorry. I'm just talking okay. about the buds. And the berry is a little bit harder to find. And actually, the reason it's a little bit harder to find is because most people do not like the berry as much as they like the caper. So I was just talking about the buds. It takes about 400 to 5,000 capers for a pound. And here's the interesting thing. Capers can be picked multiple times over a season. The shrub is constantly setting these flower buds. So after the shrub gets on in age a little bit, you can actually get between 2 to 20 pounds of capers annually from one of these shrubs. And, you know, you can get so many from them, and the demand is in the world is relatively small for capers. That's part of the reason that uh, many, many capers don't come from caper farms, but actually come from the water. Wild. I mean, this is kind of kind of a weed. Mm-hmm. Now, there's about 350 different species of capers, and there's a tremendous number of edible species. Certainly, there's the capers that we know. There's brush capers. There are bear capers, which have these uh, interesting spicy fruits. There's something called wild orange, which is an Australian native. There are pea-leaved capers, Hawaiian capers. Can't necessarily eat all the capers I just mentioned. Hawaiian capers, you're not supposed to eat. But it's fascinating to me how many there are. And again, many of these are foods. Look up wild orange if you want to find an interesting one. This is an Australian plant that um, can be picked off of, and some people do. You know, people who uh, like to go out feed on wild plants. We're not recommending that, by the way. <laughs> That's you. That's um, more you doing that. I, I love doing that kind of stuff, if, if I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Capers are grown in Morocco, Spain, Italy, Australia, even a little bit in the United States. And there are different cultivars of capers, so there are specific types. It's worth noting that some of the capers, in fact, wild, they'll tend to have thorns on their wood. Mm-hmm. So you need to be careful when you're picking your capers. Also with the, with the capers, there is actually a caper that produces sweet-tasting proteins, which are being tested as another sweetener. You remember our stevia episode? Yes. Well, there are other plants that produce sweet-tasting proteins as well, and these proteins are called mabinolins. So these mabinolins are sweet-tasting proteins that someday you may be eating those as a sweetener. And they are hundreds of times more sweet than sugar, as apparently every artificial sweetener <laughs> is. And they're from, they are, by the way, from a, uh, from a caper, which is different than the caper you get from the regular bottle. The mabinolins come from a, from a different one. But just a, a really, really interesting group of plants. One of the foods that I like, and I I couldn't avoid talking about this. Do you like tapenades? Oh, my gosh. I haven't thought of those in a long time. I love tapenades. And tapenades are actually paste that you put onto crackers, and they include black olives, capers, and anchovies, and often other things also. Tapenades rely on capers. It has been a really long time since I've had—it's not a common— No, it's not not common— 
now I'm going to plug Fresh Market right here. But, okay. But I get uh, one day I walked into Fresh Market and I saw that and I saw Tapenade and I said, "Dang, that looks so good! I want to try that." And now we have Fresh Market close to our home. Uh-huh. We we go there probably I don't know once every few months and and get their Tapenade. I think I'm going to stop by there on the way home today. Besides producing both caper berries and your regular capers, the caper shrub can actually produce two other very important products. One is new shoots. New shoots can be eaten as a vegetable. And apparently, this is better than asparagus, to which I say that's kind of like saying it's better than dog poo. <laughs> I, mean, I really don't like it. Really, you don't like asparagus. Really don't like asparagus. Nobody's <laughs> cooked it well for you. It's one of the best vegetables to eat. <laughs> yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Yuck and yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck and yuck. And the other thing that it produces are dried leaves. Obviously, they all produce this. And why do we care about these dry leaves? They can actually be used as a form of rennet. Why is that important? Well, if you are a vegetarian making cheese, there are various ways to get the milk to curdle. <coughs> the common way to make milk curdle is to use something called rennet, which comes from an animal's stomach. And, and this is actually a byproduct of the veal industry. And this, you know, there are some issues with that. If you use the dried leaves from capers, well, obviously that's, you know, to a lot of people better than using an animal's stomach. It's also worth pointing out, though, that, you know, I don't want to chase everybody from away from cheese right now. Most of the uh, rennet in the United States actually comes from genetically modified organisms, which most people don't realize. But if you eat cheese, you're actually getting that from a genetically modified organism, whether you realize it or not. And a lot of people just don't realize that. Basically, they took, they transformed yeast with, uh, with the protein that'll you know, make your milk coagulate. So, capers, you going to grow them? I wish I could, but I think that humidity thing is going to keep it at bay. Yeah, well, we'll definitely be trying them um, sometime in the, in the near future. And again, the incredible thing about this plant is that if you've got one, you're going to be able to produce a whole lot in a relatively short period of time. So there are scrappy and weedy. Well, not weedy. They're just, I think of them as a scrappy desert plant, but uh, they won't take over. They're not going to be weedy. The first mention of capers goes back 4,000 years in the Sumerian Epic of Gilgamesh. It's actually this little thing where Gilgamesh is trying to woo a woman, (laughs) and he uses capers as one of the foods that he thinks will work to woo the women. I used it on Suzanne when we were dating. You know that I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) These foods sometimes always turn around (laughs) to the start in our history as a as a uh, woman wooer. <laughs> you know, I tell you what. So obviously, we've talked about spices the last few times that we've been speaking, and I got to tell you something. Is there a spice out there that isn't an aphrodisiac? I just want to know. That means somebody went around and is eating flower buds. You know, at least five thousand years ago. <laughs> at least, at least with at least with vanilla, we had that doctor apparently check out three hundred and however many women or men and who were lovers of. Was it at least that many women? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, so uh, this is the end of the first season of The Plants We Eat. We have really enjoyed doing this. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to be taking a few weeks off. We'll be back sometime in January. 
hey, you know what? We would love to get some ideas from you. If you have some ideas for plants that you would like for us to highlight, please email me at jgilman at uncc.edu, j-g-i-l-l-m-a-n at uncc.edu, or Cindy, you want to take a few? Sure. You can email me at cynthia.proctor at cpcc.edu. Hey, you can let us either one of us know. Sure. Uh, love to hear from you. We would, but we're gonna, we need one to start off the season. Okay. What are you thinking of to start off the season? Well, how about something that has something to do with alcohol? Hops. There you go. <laughs> hops is a most pernicious weed. That's from uh, Henry VIII. And we, the, <laughs> <laughs> of course, we found a way to use it to our benefit. We have. <laughs> so we'll talk about hops for the first show. And hey, if you guys want to chime in, we'd love to. We'd love to take some of your suggestions. And with that, this has been the plants we eat. This has been a production of UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens along with the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences and the Isle Group at UNC Charlotte. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to talking to you in early 2019. Have a happy holiday season.